Well, praise God. Get your Bibles out this morning. Oh, come on. Get your Bibles out this morning. There you go. You should be excited to go to the Word of God. And go to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 7. Now, y'all have to forgive me this morning. I got, I'm a little choked up. I think it's my body got used to not having any rain. And then now it's like, oh, wait a minute, what is this? And so, mold, whatever. Yeah, we hadn't seen mold in forever, right? Non-existent for two years or three. But that's okay. I, det- I, I, I ain't nothing going to stop me from preaching this message this morning because it's probably one of the greatest messages I've ever preached. Write that down. The title of it is called Free and Fearless. Everybody say free and fearless. How many of y'all would like to be free and fearless? I mean, were you just free to be who you're called to be in life and just fearless to know God's with you? Sound good enough? Well, let's get into this. I'm going to show you something. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 7. It says, For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work. Now, wait a minute. Let me stop for a second. This is Moses talking to the children of Israel after they're getting ready to go in the promised land, after they've been 40 years and their parents have all died off. All right? Got to get the setting right. Moses steps up and tells them this. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you and you have lacked nothing. How many of y'all ever feel like you're trudging through life? I mean, you're just, you're still going forward, but you're just putting one foot in front of the other, just kind of, you know, y'all know what trudging is, right? You're not really happy. The joy of the Lord is not your strength. You're definitely no skipping going on, right? You're just, you're, you're maintaining your lot. You're still saved. You still know you love Jesus. You still did your prayers. You may have even read your Bible. But you're just doing it all out of duty. Hello? And you're just trudging. You're just putting one foot in the other and you're trudging. God, I praise you. I love you. You're everything to me. Thank you, Lord. You're here. You're going to do all of these things for me. I declare the joy of the Lord is my strength. But your face is all drawn up like you've been sucking on lemons or something, you know. Everybody looks at you. Nobody really wants to be around you because they think you're going to explode at any second and do something crazy, right? And so you're just trudging. Everybody say trudging. I don't want to trudge through life. Hello? I mean, like, the other day, I was trudging. I'll be honest with you. I was trudging. I had worked hard. I was tired. I don't know why my body won't recover quicker. Like I want it to, and age every day, it seems like it's getting to me. I'm starting to sing the Geritol commercial, you know, wondering what was in Geritol. Did it work? Can you buy it? (laughs) I'm talking, you know, I'm trudging. My feet hurt. My back hurts. My shoulder hurts. I'm just trudging. And I'm outside like this, walking, praying. God, I love you. You're awesome. You're amazing, God. And I'm just... And then after a while, I start laughing because I'm like, I'm just trudging. All right. Well, you got to understand something. They trudged through the wilderness. Because they didn't enter the promised land. And they didn't enter the promised land simply because they were fearful, scared to go to war. Right? If you go read the story out. Because this is really not my message. I just wanted to throw this out. They came back with a big bunch of grapes and all this stuff and said, look at all this great produce. Look at all what they're, the glands are great. And then somebody said, yeah, but there's giants. There's giants. And they all became yabbits, right? And they were yabbit this and yabbit that. And they they wouldn't enter the promised because they were scared to fight. They didn't think God was going to do what God said he was going to do. Because he basically said, I'm going to take you out of Egypt, right? And he did that in a mighty way. He trudged them through Red Sea parts. They walked through on dry ground. This did not impress the people. Think about this. It did not impact them. Everybody. There was, could have been, I, don't, I can't say exactly, but there was more or less probably a good guess 
Three million people at least went through the Red Sea. Yet they stand up and they say, oh, we can't defeat those giants. What? The water parted. It was dry. It covered them all back up. Yet that miracle did not impress them. Now listen to me, folks. I want to, this, I'm getting pre preaching good here for a second. Then I'm going to start teaching. So it's a preaching message this morning. So, so they went out there. Listen, they went through that and it didn't impact them. But you know, remember the story of Lazarus is over in uh, uh, Luke 17 where uh, Jesus is telling the story about Lazarus and the blind and, and, and the rich man and, and they both die and then they go to Lazarus is in, in, in um, Abraham's bosom and, and uh, the rich man he's looking across you know in the hot place and he said send somebody back from the dead if my brothers you know if, they, if somebody comes back from the dead they'll hear it and he says no even if somebody rises from the dead he said they won't believe him See, there's a certain thing in Christian's heart, and this is what makes me sick. We're supposed to be children of God, born again, watching the blood of Jesus, walking triumphantly, full of joy and victory because we've entered into the promised land and believe in God to defeat all the enemy and the giants that come around us. But so many Christians are just trudging. They're, I mean, we, we got to, folks, this nation was built on a faith and a belief in God, and we have so compromised that faith and belief in God that now Christians are just not even, they're not even anything. They're just a... They're not even a, 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 a real breath anymore, not any real voice anymore. Because nobody really believes God will do anything. And so it's just gotten to be like a club. And I don't need a club. I'm going to tell you all something. I love you all with all of my heart, but I don't need a club. Man, I just, I just soon stay home and, and do whatever I want to go do. I don't need a club. I don't need to join a club. I want to walk in power and victory because my God has created something in me that's made me, listen, free and fearless. Are you following me here? And so they didn't want to enter into the promise land because they were scared that God wouldn't deliver them. And they said all the giants. So what did they do? They trudged through the wilderness till they died. Oof. I don't know about you folks, but listen to me. If I'm feeling myself trudging, then there's some war that I should have fought and gotten victory over so I could walk in happiness. And somewhere or another, I got to watch myself because something may have happened. I may have compromised somewhere. I may have not been doing what God told me to do. I got to watch it because I shouldn't be trudging. I should be walking free and fearless in the joy of the Lord. And if you're not, then something's not right. Maybe you're thinking. Maybe your ability to deal with people or situations, or maybe there's a circumstance you haven't dealt with, you haven't, you know, allowed the Spirit of God to, to come in there. Maybe you're not walking in love. Maybe you're not walking in forgiveness. Oh, now, this message just got bad, you know. All of y'all just curled your toes up in your boots right there and said, oh, Lord, let him preach something else. But that's the truth. Those are the battles we face in life. And you're going to find yourself trudging when you're not walking in the promised land. Okay? So I want to help you get there. Would it not be great to know and to live a life in this crazy world of uncertainty that we could be certain that God was going to take care of us? Wouldn't that be cool? No worries? I'm pretty sure it's what the Bible teaches us. We just don't ever walk in it. No worries, no fears, no concerns. Totally confident in our God, right? Well, I believe John 10, 29 says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. John 10, 29 is a great scripture. It says, Ain't nothing going to take you out of the palm of the Father's hand. You're in it. This should be our great confidence. This should be our great strength. This should be every day when we wake up and know that we're right with Jesus because we're right with our Father because of the blood of Jesus, not because of your abilities, not because of what you've done, not because you're great, but because of the grace of God. That ain't, ain't nothing snatches us out of the palm of the Father's hand. I'll tell you all, now listen, y'all, some of y'all may not agree with me. That's okay. Don't throw anything at me. You can have this disagreement. This is my opinion. I don't like, I, I, I think it's an absolute, total and complete waste of time for them to have shows about UFOs. Because I don't really know. But have you ever, ever thought about this? When the aliens come that are always more superior than we are, you never find like a, 
a, a ship lands and they're full of a dummies. Right? But they always make the aliens out the time. I don't really care if a spaceship landed out front line. I just say, I'd be darned. There's a little green man out there. I'm not real concerned about it. It does not concern me in the least. I'm not worried about the Klingons coming and attacking us. I've got enough other things going on in the world. I am not concerned about alien life. Right? I'm concerned about illegal aliens, but not alien life. Because there's one thing I've got. I am totally 100% confident in my God that I'm in the palm of this father's hand. And ain't no little green man going to snatch me out either. I know there ain't no devil going to snatch me out. There ain't no little old green man going to snatch me out either. I don't care if he's a gray or he's a green or he's a pink or a blue or purple. He ain't snatching me out of the palm of my father's hand. God is more superior. I believe God created the heavens and the earth and all therein. And if there's something out there, God created and it's subject unto my God. And I happen to be in favor with him. Because I'm his child. Hello? Okay. This is what's called confidence. Okay. So I looked up the word confidence in the Webster's Dictionary. And this is what it says. I'm going to give you a few uh, definitions that they have in there. A feeling or consciousness of one's powers or of reliance on one's circumstances. It's one way to look at it. Talking about confidence here. Faith or belief that one will act in a right, proper, or effective way. Hello? The quality of state, the quality or state of being certain. It's confidence, right? But you see, the children of Israel, they were not confident. Here was God. Why could he part the Red Sea, but he couldn't kill the giants? God literally, just think of this. God literally told them that when you go into promise, I want to send hornets, hornets. Bumblebees, hornets out in front of you and drive the people out. Hornets. God says, I'm just going to get hornets and run the the giants out. Can you imagine living in the town that's attacked by hornets? So you just say, we can't live there. The the hornets are getting us and they all leave. And you just walk in and say, I never would have thought of that. But God did. Okay. So that's confidence. Confidence. A relation of trust or intimacy. Reliance on another's discretion. Like your confidence is not going to tell a secret. Okay? Support, listen to this one. I laughed at this one. Support, especially in a legislative body, a vote of confidence. I was like, "Ah, I don't need that one. Can't take it off. But I thought I'd throw it in there just for a joke. So I want to look, I want to, now I want to show you, that's what Webster said. Now I want to show you what the Greek dictionary says about the word confidence. Okay? It's parousia is the word confidence. And it means freedom in speaking. This is one way of looking at it. Freedom in speaking, unreservedness in speech. Openly, frankly, without concealment. Without the use of figures and comparisons. In other words, you're so confident of what you're saying, you don't have to have the paper to prove it. Free and fearless. Confident. Cheerful courage. Cheerful courage. Boldness and assurance. That's when it hit me, free and fearless. Man, what a way to live. Free and fearless and confident that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. But do we believe that? That's what I'm putting out to you this morning. Do we believe it or are we trudging? Because if you're living a life as a Christian just trudging, I'm telling you, you are falling short. You're supposed to be in the promised land. You missed missed the, the sign that said promised land. You're still walking and trudging. Through the sand of the desert. Now let me show you a few examples of this. I'm just going to go over these quickly. Mark 8, 31 and 32. It says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. After three days, rise again. He spoke this word openly. That's the word. 
parousia, meaning confidently. He said, this is what's going to happen. That's how that word was translated. And then it says, and then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And then you know the rest of the verse goes and says, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You know what you're talking about? John eleven fourteen. John eleven fourteen says, and then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So in other words, you got to understand this word confidence that's translated into English confidence in, in our Bible. But it means can also mean openly and plain of speech and matter-of-factly and this is it, okay? But then it can mean boldly. If you look at Ephesians 3.8, Ephesians 3.8 says, And to me who am less than the least of the saints, this grace is given to me that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which is from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence. Check this out. Through faith in him. Y'all remember that? I'm going to give you another one. Acts 28.30. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all that who came to him and preached the kingdom of God, teaching the things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no one forbidding him. Confidence. Now, here I want you to get this one. I mean, this one, if you're ever going to tattoo something on your hand, this is the one. 1 John 5.14. 1 John 5.14. Now, this is the confidence we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he knows that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we've asked of him. Here's this what I'm trying to get across, this fear, fear, uh, uh, free and fearless, that we can go to God in confidence knowing that when we pray, he hears us. But let me ask you, let me ask you, come on, don't look down or I'll know I hit you. How many times have you prayed and you didn't instantaneously see something change and you just kept trudging? You're not supposed to be living trudging. You're supposed to be living free and fearless confident in God that when you prayed he heard your prayer folks do you hear what I'm saying God almighty the creator of heaven and earth the one that can that that made you created you put everything in existence when you pray he hears do you have that kind of confidence are you able to just I mean are you able just to stop and say oh God I just need I just want to talk to you right now for a second I need your help and boom you know you heard God or God heard you, and God's got it taken care of. But don't we tend to bow our knee and pray and then go into the fretting, the trudging, and the worrying, and the looking to, oh, how are we going to get out of this? Oh, God, what are we going to do? What's this going to take us? Oh, God, what are we going to do? What's this going to cost me? My wife and I just recently just walked through through the uh, last couple of weeks of just like everything in our house is broken. And it's like one of these things that, that it's, just, it's just nutso, but it, I understand it. It's not, it's demonic in the nature of it, but it's not like we got attacked by a demon. It's that every appliance we bought at the same time, and everyone started to decide it's going to break. So the oven went out, and then we couldn't get a replacement. And so then I was cooking everything on the barbecue pit, which is okay, but after a while, I can't say what's for supper because I'm cooking. Okay, so it's getting to be kind of arduous there. And so then, then the other night, uh, we go to bed, we wake up, and the whole, our whole kitchen is flooded because the ice maker messed up and poured water out the whole night long and flooded all of our hardwood floor and just, just everything's buckled up and messed up. I mean, you can trip, hurt yourself walking on our floor. And so I got over that, and then we had an incident with a, 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 a deranged cat that got run over and ended up at my house. 
and, and, and was running around the porch, and the dog's going crazy, and everything's going crazy, and it's just, it's just chaos. I mean, it's just like chaos. You're just like, what in the world? What else is coming out of the woods? And so one thing led to the next and led to the next. It just kept being one other thing on top of another thing and top of another thing. And, and after a while, my wife and I always got to laughing, just like, <laughs> what else? As, what else did we buy when we bought all the rest of them? What else can break and fall apart? And I just laughed. And every morning I'd get up and I'd go praise God. I said, it's going to be good to work this one out because, you, you know, it's going to take a miracle to make these things work out and get these things replaced and whatever because, you know, apparently nobody wants to build gas stoves anymore. It's a demon. And I'm like, I want the one that burns the most amount of propane and puts its most carbon dioxide in the world that could possibly be. I want a smoke stack out the top of my roof, puffing. Because that's the way I get when I get mad. I just want to go to the farthest extreme, right? You want to kill some ozone, watch this. So anyway, my point is, when we pray, do we believe that God's going to answer our prayers? And see, these are daily activities in life. Or are they taking us down to where we're discouraged and disgruntled and we have no, no energy and we're, you know, and no faith and no whatever and that we're just going to, you know, be trudging in the wilderness? I don't want to trudge, folks. Now, you got to understand something. Confidence and faith go hand in hand. You're not really going to have confidence if you don't have faith, but actually in the Greek, they're two different words, and they mean two different things, okay? So Hebrews eleven six 6, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So faith is what pleases God, not your works or your abilities, right? It's the producing of faith. 1 John 5, 4 says, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Okay? So faith and confidence go hand in hand. I want to show you that a little bit better here in just a minute. But I want to show you this, the definition of faith in the Greek. It means the conviction of the truth of anything. So in other words, confidence, you're confident in who God is. But faith, there is a conviction a revelation down on the inside of you that then ignites something. Are you hearing me? It could be a conviction or a belief respecting man's relationship to God of divine things. Generally, the included idea of trust and holy fever born of faith joined with it. In other words, you've got a tenacity. The faith is driving you to have a tenacity with it. When you get into faith with God, faith becomes immovable because it's what you believe. Oh, but how many Christians, their faith is only what you believe if God works it out like you want him to. Now, just listen. When you become, when you get into faith, and then you become confident that God has heard your prayers and you're in faith. Folks, that's when things move. But most Christians never get there. Most Christians are still, they're not really convinced God's going to do it. Because the moment they pray, like I've been preaching these last few weeks, the seed of doubt gets planted in your mind. And the enemy starts coming in there and saying, well, you remember the last time this happened. Or, oh, you remember Sister So-and-so. You remember, oh, yeah, you know, heard that testimony of them over there. They didn't do it. That didn't happen. And so these seeds of doubt start coming up, which takes your confidence, because confidence means you're sold out, and won't get faith to work. So therefore, you're not going to see a result because it's only faith that pleases God and only faith that brings your prayers about. Oh, the devil hates I'm preaching this today, I'm telling you. Because I'm giving you a truth here that if you grab hold of it, set you free. You will become free and fearless because you understand what's taking place. So how are we going to get to that place? I'm going to give you four things because I like to preach where I give you some application to what I'm talking about. I don't want to preach a theory message and then y'all go home and say, well, wasn't that deep? And then next, the next day you say, what was that pastor's preaching? I, say, I don't remember. Well, let's go listen to the tape again. I'm going to give you four things you can do. Yeah, it turns into that thing. I don't know what he said, but it sure was good. 
I want to go to Hebrews 12.1. Four things. I'm going to give you four things that how you're going to get your faith and this confidence working for you so you can see God answer your prayers. The first one. Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus, listen, it says he's the author. What is an author? Author is the one who wrote the book, right? You could be in a book but not be the author of it. Hello? But Jesus is the author of it. He wrote it. But he says he is the author and the finisher, the completer. You know, being in construction most of my life, you know, we have concrete finishers. The finisher comes in after the concrete's been poured, after the concrete's level, then the finishers show up. And they finish it. They smooth it all out. They take all the imperfections out of it, and they make it perfect. Hello? So Jesus is the author, the one writing your book, and the completer, the finisher, the perfecter of your faith. But the first thing you have to do, look at it. It says, looking unto Jesus. The very first thing, you, if you're going to get your faith and your confidence going, if you're going to become free and fearless, you have to start looking to Jesus. He said, oh, well that, I'll just get a picture. One of them pictures of him holding a lamb, petting that lamb, and his long robe, his long hair, his beard. Put it at my house. I just look at him all the time. My faith will be complete. Hello? Get, I'll get me a Jesus pillowcase. I'll sleep with my head on Jesus. Okay, that's not going to work, right? That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, looking unto Jesus. What did Jesus, you're looking at who, what Jesus did for you, who Jesus was, how he, how he functioned, how he operated, how he walked. You're looking unto Jesus. He's becoming your, your example, your source, your, your, your person that is influencing you, your peer that is impressing you. Hello? I think one of the greatest campaigns, and you don't hear it much anymore, that ever came out was the wristbands that said, WWJD, what would Jesus do? I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Walk around, have the wristband on, and it's every time you wanted to act like a sinner, think about what would Jesus do? Hello? But this is what I'm talking about. You've got to look to Jesus. Folks, listen to me. <clears throat> you want to know why our world is messed up? Let me explain it to you. It's very simple. All right, because for generations we've had the wrong peers in front of our children. Because children are going to be and develop like their peers. All right, it's that simple. I grew up in the era of Roy Rogers. Now Roy Rogers would punch you. He'd fight in a heartbeat. He'd cheat somebody. But he always winged them. Did you ever notice that? If you go back and watch all the old Roy Rogers, he didn't kill anybody. He winged them. Always shot the gun out of their hand or shot them in the shoulder. And then what happened at the end of it? He got Dale, and they rode off on the horse into the sunset. What a beautiful story. That so influenced my life. I'm still like that today. I will not watch anything that doesn't end. The guy's got the girl riding off in the sunset. It's a story from hell as far as I'm concerned, if it doesn't have that in it. Are you with me? It developed me because that's the way it taught men how to handle, be with women. It taught, I mean, it just, now we've got peers out there. So people are looking uh, unto not Jesus. So therefore they develop their own behavior because of that. So that's happened for the past 30 years, and now we got what we got. Number two, 1 Peter 1.18. The second thing you're going to have to do, the first thing you have to look into Jesus. 1 Peter 1.18 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from aimless conduct 
received by the traditions of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. The second thing you're going to have to understand is you have been redeemed. What does that mean? Okay, what does it mean to have been redeemed? What it really means is you have been taken hostage and the ransom has been paid for your deliverance. That's the reality of what it means. Okay? It says right here, the word is lutro, and it means to release upon receipt of ransom. Redemption, that's what it means. To redeem, to liberate as payment of ransom. To liberate, to cause to be released to oneself by a payment of a ransom. So, I mean, I, I don't think you would do this, but if you went into a store and you bought some stuff and you put, you bought a couple of pair of jeans and you put them on the t- dealer, you wouldn't ask the lady, well, what is the ransom for this? See, we don't use that term, right? Ransom is used in kidnapping, right? But the Greeks said that's the word from the Aramaic. That it's as if you were held hostage, you were a ransom, you were held in bondage by the enemy. Jesus or the Apostle Paul said it this way, through the course of this world, the, the thing that's working in this world, you were held ransom. You were a victim. You were kidnapped, held ransom. And there was a price that had to be paid for you. The price that was paid for you was Jesus. God sent his only son, right, into this world to pay the price for you and me. You were a hostage. Now you are free. Your ransom has been paid. But we still act like we're in bondage. We still hang around by the captor's house. We still talk to our captor. We listen to him. Tell us we're not going to make it. Tell us that, you know, so-and-so don't love you. God don't love you. Your dog don't love you. Cats don't even like you. Hello? Are y'all following me here? You've been freed. If you don't grab this reality, you'll always be in bondage because then you're on a performance track, running down this performance track. And if you don't perform well, well, then you're going to fall apart and say, oh, God didn't love me because, man, God loves me. You know why God loves me? He already paid the price for me. You don't buy something that you don't like. I'm highly important to him because he paid a price for me. If he didn't want to pay the price for me, he wouldn't have paid the price for me. He paid the price for me. I have been bought. I have a worth. What is my worth? The blood of Jesus on the cross. And he calls it, Peter calls it, precious blood. So how valuable am I? I'm pretty valuable. He said, well, aren't you confident? I am in the blood of Jesus. See, folks, I preach these messages to you because... It's what I'm doing. I'm, it's what I'm living. It's my life. The message I preached like three weeks ago about you had to understand that God's a God of covenant. You had to understand that the blood speaks. You had to understand grace. I have been confessing those scriptures, walking that, t- and I have gotten such joy out of it in the last three weeks or a month ago when I preached that. Because every day it's like, God, you, you trapped yourself. You, you, you entrapped yourself. You made a covenant with me. And then you swore by an oath that I'd be blessed. You did it yourself. I didn't make up the contract. I didn't say these were the terms. You did it. You've entrapped yourself. And then you went and gave me the blood of Jesus, this precious blood that's crying out all the time. I'm special. I'm important. See, we let the devil beat us up. What do we do? Trudge through the wilderness. Just trudging, trudging. When God says, man... You're so precious. You're so special. We read those scriptures, you know. Yeah, I know. You've got a hope and a future for me, but I bet it's terrible. Yeah, I'm not going to enjoy it. Somewhere on the backside of the desert. And that's the way we walk with God. And we call ourselves Christians, full of faith. Do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, I do. Do you? Then act like it. Ransom's been paid. You're free. The third thing. Now, this is going to get some of you. Some of you may like it. Some of you may not. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. It is truth that will convict you. Don't get mad at me. 
just the word. I'm only preaching the word. The third thing here, Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. If a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. The third thing is you have to come to a revelation. You have to come to an understanding, right? The first one is you've got to look into Jesus. The second one is you have to understand redemption. The third one is you have to understand he's not God. God. He's not God. He's your heavenly father. You have a father. A heavenly father. You got to get the idea out of your head and think, oh, well, you know, he's, he's God. Scared to talk to him. He may smack me. That may be your earthly father. Forget that mess. Figure out who your heavenly father is. Quit sitting around entrapped and becoming a victim of your earthly father and start letting yourself become free and fearless and confident because you know who your heavenly father is. Oh, man. That old prodigal son comes home. He's been trudging. Smells like pig. Come in there. Everything a Jewish boy could have done wrong, he's done wrong. Goes up to the father. Oh, father, forgive me. I just let me be a servant in your house. And he said, bring out the best robe. Never even talk to him. Go read the story. Never even talk to him. Never even addressed all his verbiage. He just said, bring out the best robe, put the ring on his, my son's home. Man, he was dead, now he's alive again. He, that's you. But quit going back to the pig pen. Quit going back to the pig pen and reminiscing. <clears throat> he says, the spirit on the inside of you cries out, you have a father. So don't be complaining because your earthly father was a jerk. Look to your heavenly father. Quit looking at what you lost from your earthly father. Look to your heavenly father that says he wants to give unto you richly in Christ Jesus. Start getting excited about him. Are you hearing me, church? Well, I don't know. It was really bad. I'm sorry it was. I feel for you. But look to your heavenly father. Let him heal you. Set you free. How about this? The disciples come to Jesus one day, and over in Matthew 6, 9, you can find it. And he, they said, hey, teach us how to pray. We want to pray like John's disciples pray. How do we pray? He said, let me pray. Pray in this manner. Our Father, who art in heaven. Do you know how many Christians pray the Lord's Prayer and don't even believe they have a heavenly Father? Go through it like it's a magical spell. If they say it, everything will work. When all it is is an outline to be the, truly the disciples' prayer, not the Lord's prayer. He gave it to them to pray. It's an outline. He said, pray like this. Start out. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, have a revelation that you have a heavenly Father. That's the third thing you got to get hold of. You got to look to Jesus. You got to understand that the price has already been paid for you. It's you're, you're you're important. And then the third thing is that you have a heavenly Father. All right. So the last one, number four, Luke seventeen six. I have a friend. Doesn't go here. Is not doesn't even live here. And he, 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 I've tried to minister to him for years and years, and kind of hard headed and. Anyway, he, whenever we, we were talking, I said, well, I want to pray about that. He'd say, what? What? What do you mean? I'm going to pray about it. And, and I said, well, I'm going to pray about it. And he's like, you know, there's only a couple of things I pray about. I don't, I, don't, I don't take these things to God unless they're like really severe. Like it's got to be a, like a family's got cancer or something's really bad. You don't, I don't, you don't talk to God. You don't, I, I only, and I said, what do you think? You only have so many tickets? And I'd ask him this. I said, you think you only got so many tickets? Like, like okay, you're just praying for rain. Well, I'm not going to pray for rain. I mean, it'll rain when it rains at one and one's going, I'm not going to pray for rain because I might use up a ticket when I really needed God to do something. And I'd say, your thinking is nuts. There's not a limit on the amount of prayers God will answer. Right? You should have a relationship with him so that as you visit and you talk, 
you're at all times doing business. Okay, so Luke 17, 6 is an interesting story here. And it says, so the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, because they said, hey, increase our faith. They wanted them to lay hands on them and power shoot out of them, and all of a sudden they were like, Superman. He says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, a little bitty small seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending a sheep, will say to him, wait, let me stop for a second. Have any of y'all ever prayed for a tree to be uprooted and just cast out somewhere else? Not with a bulldozer or a bobcat. Or I sometimes do that. I'll be running a little excavator, and I'm going to knock a tree over, and I'll say, Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name. We're going to uproot this tree right now in the name of Jesus. And I push it over and uproot it. But that's not the same. He said you could pay and a tree would be uprooted and cast and planted in the sea. Now, I just want to put this out there. Was Jesus just telling a story? Was he just, you know, there was a mulberry tree there and he just wanted to make something stream? Or is it possible? Think about it. And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come out at once and sit down and eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk? And afterwards, when I eat and drink, does he thank that servant because he did the things that he commanded him? Now, just stop for a second and think about that. The disciples are asking him to increase our faith and to teach us about faith. And Jesus tells this story of a servant plowing in the field and it's supper time. And he's supposed to fix your supper. So you say, hey. And then he comes and he fixes your supper while you sit down. And then, after that, he cleans up the dishes. And you don't have to really say, thank you for doing this, because it was his job. You see the story. You know, some of you can say, automatically right now, some of you are getting mad and saying, well, that's just ungrateful. He should have at least said thank you. Get off that. Look at the point of the story. The servant was doing the work. Faith is your servant that Jesus has given you to do the work, to bring about the things in your life that need to be. And my question to you, are you working your servant? The fourth thing is, do you understand that? That when you put your faith in him, not your ability, then you can move on through life. Do you understand that faith is given to you to be your servant? You're supposed to have a talk with God, being confident in this. That you can pray and he hears your prayer. That's your faith going to work. Your prayer is your faith sending your servant out to get it done. You can't make it happen. You can't bring it about. You can't order the course of this world and make things happen. You can only pray and be in faith so faith becomes your servant that's out there working to bring about in the supernatural realm what needs to be in your life. But if you don't use it, you could be sitting out the window looking. Said, I wish you'd come in here. I'm hungry. Now, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but it's a good example. And I'll bear the brunt of the punishment. But men, I know y'all, some of you, have come in from work, sat down in your easy chair. The wife was stewing around in the kitchen. And what you were thinking was, when is she going to get supper? Keep your faces straight, guys. Don't. This is dangerous territory I'm treading on here. A part of you wants to leap up and say, when are we going to eat? The other part of you that has wisdom, that has been trying to be developed by godliness, you know better than that. That that is a death sentence. That you will get a cold sandwich. But that's not the way it is with your faith. Your faith is inside of you, and it produces confidence. And you have an ability to sit down and send your faith out and tell your faith to get going and saying, Lord, I thank you. I prayed. I understand this. I rebuke that devil. I declare this has got to come. Pull up that mulberry tree and throw it in the sea. That's your faith working. And you can get up and tell it 
and not get in trouble. Like my friend who thought he had a limited number of prayers. That's not the case. Your faith is your servant to bring things about. I want to read it one more time. This is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. What are you going to do with that scripture? What are you going to do with that one? And we know that if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. And right now, right now, oh, because I can hear it. I can hear this. If you're going through your ears right now, if you have said these words, yeah, but it says according to his will, and maybe I wasn't praying according to If you've heard that, yeah, but, listen to me. You better watch out because you are of the Yabbat family. It's in your genes. And you better figure out how to kill that Yabbat side of your family because it's going to keep you from ever walking in faith, ever walking in victory, ever seeing God move in your life because every time you're about to enter into confidence and faith and be free and fearless, it's going to steal the joy right out of your heart and you're going to be continually trudging. So I think the real litmus test of this message is, are you trudging? That's to ask yourself. If you're trudging, and I'm not just talking about you're tired and going through some medical issues or something like that. I'm talking about if your spiritual walk is you are trudging. You better watch it. This message is for you. So do those four points, and you're going to see victory. Amen? Amen. Well, I want you to put your Bibles up right now. Today is a communion Sunday. And so here at Living Waters, we have an open communion service. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're more than welcome to have communion with us. Now listen to me. Communion right here today is a great place for you to get your heart right if you've been trudging. Look at the person beside you and say, I think he's talking to you. Couldn't be me. It's a great place to repent. Hello? Repentance is the greatest thing in the world. We can repent and get back right with God because we stand in grace. Not a cheap grace, but a precious grace. So can I have my, uh, my, my prayer team and those that are going to help me down here to serve everyone? Come down, please. So now's the time for you in your, in, that, are, that are in your chairs or at home to begin to sit there and contemplate. Have you, are you trudging? Are you trudging? And you know, God wants to set you free. If you're listening or watching out there and you're not sure that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. I heard a beautiful testimony. And I hope the person's listening today, but I heard a beautiful testimony uh, the other day of a person who was watching at home. They've been at home forever watching. All of the family's been watching. And that on a communion Sunday, the, the, one of the family members gave their life to Christ and took communion for the very first time as a Christian by watching over the broadcast. That blesses my heart so much. And so if you're out there today, listen, all you have to do is ask Jesus to come into your life, to pray and say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I believe you are the son of God. I believe you paid the ransom for me. And I want to be free. And he will touch you right there, wherever you're at. If you're in here today, in just a moment, the prayer team people are going to be up here. And as you come up to take communion, I just, I just encourage you, if you're not sure you're right with God, well, there's only one way accepting the ransom that was paid by Jesus Christ. Just step up and grab one of these prayer team people's hands and let them pray with you. And then step back in line and take communion for the very first time as a Christian. The rest of you, if you know you're right with God, maybe you're backslidden or maybe you know you're not right or you're, you're trudging, repent when we come up here. This is not a ritual. This is communion with God. Amen? And so, get your hearts right. And the Bible tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, now take and eat, for this is my body which is broken for you. So, Lord, today we thank you that you went to the cross for us. You paid the ransom for us. Your body was bruised, whipped, scourged, Lord God, for us. And we give you all the praise that today, by faith, Lord God, in confidence, 
that you heal our bodies and you set us free. And we thank you for it, Lord. And then the scriptures tell us that he took a cup and he blessed it and gave it to his disciples and said, now take and drink for this is a new covenant poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of sin. Lord, sin was the only thing that kept us that kept us from being with, having a heavenly father. And now you removed it by your precious blood. So Lord, I thank you that you hear the prayers of the people that repent today. And that Lord, you touch them and that you change them. And you bless them, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on now, church. And Receive everything you need from the Lord today. Well, church, stand to your feet. I pray that you feel free and fearless and confident now. Amen. So I encourage everyone, if you come to dinner on the grounds today, make a new friend. We need friends. Amen. And so um, I'm going to pray. And everyone can be dismissed over. Father, I just declare. And I thank you, Lord God, that your, your desire is for your children to be free and fearless and confident in you, O oh God. So, Lord, I ask you to bless them. Let this message sink deep into their hearts. That even today as we go and we fellowship together and eat together, Lord, that we can see that there's victory and that there's joy and all these things arise within our hearts. Lord, you're so amazing. I thank you that we get to call you Father. Jesus, we get to call you Brother. And what a privilege that is. So, Lord, we praise you for it. We thank you for it. Thank you for blessing them all, Lord, right now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. God bless you, church.